Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach, a recently published book by Sage Publishing. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars and shops, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with Chief Information Security Officers. Dr. Chatterjee is an Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia, and Visiting Professor at Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering. Hello everyone, I'm delighted to welcome Jenny Ratcliffe. Jenny is also known as the People Hacker. She is a world-renowned social engineer hired to bypass security systems through a no-tech mixture of psychology, corn artistry, cunning, and guile. Wow. A burglar for hire, she has spent a lifetime talking her way into secure locations, protecting clients from scammers, and leading educational simulated criminal attacks on organizations of all sizes in order to help secure money, data, and information from those with genuine malicious intent. Jenny is a much sought after keynote speaker, panelist, moderator at major conferences and corporate events, both in person and online, and is a multiple TEDx contributor. An entertaining educator, Jenny is the go-to guest expert on the human element of security, scams, cons and hacks, and has appeared on numerous television and radio shows, as well as online media and traditional press outlets. It's truly an honor to have Jenny to talk about our discussion theme today, which is the human vulnerability factor. To set the context of our discussion, a widely reported 2019 survey found that 99% of the attacks are focused on exploiting human vulnerabilities by targeting people instead of computer systems and infrastructure. Cyber criminals are continuously refining their social engineering techniques to lead unsuspecting people to commit acts such as downloading and installing malicious email attachments, clicking on fraudulent website links, and unknowingly handing over personal information and login credentials. Some of the most significant data breaches were carried out after stealing login credentials from human actors. So our guest this morning is extremely qualified to shed light on this huge challenge that confronts us today. So without any further ado, Jenny, what, according to you, based on all your experiences dealing with human vulnerabilities, what what are you finding are the challenges? Well, thank you very much for having me on your show. Um, it's an it's an honor to be here, and and I think you know the challenges are always going to be the same in some ways, regardless of the way that people are approached and the way that you know victims are made by criminals. The challenges are always going to be the fact that we have human weaknesses. We're vulnerable to cognitive biases and errors 
and they can be weaponized by someone with malintent. So the real, you know, vulnerability is the fact is in our humanity. It's the fact that we're human. So for example, something like the way we respond, uh, to our emotions, you know, what that does to our judgment, the way that we respond to um, cognitive biases or psychological factors like social proof. That means that if we see a lot of other people doing something or if we're even told that a lot of other people have done something, that we do that, you know, we do that as well. We think that that must make make it okay. So I think the the thing that I'm seeing is that those vulnerabilities are just being targeted with new scripts. So when we look at the pandemic and we look at the, you know, the hopeful recovery from the pandemic, it's still the basic things. It's still targeting human emotion, uh, you know, human psychology. We're distracted. We're tired. We see others doing something. But uh, it just happens to be with a pandemic script or with a more technical approach. Uh, like, for example, something like deep fake. It's still the same things that they're targeting the same vulnerabilities it's just done up to date with the tech and the narrative i think very true very true in fact uh, as i reflect on the work that i have done in this space uh, just like you mentioned the innate human curiosity temptations distractions uh, multi-processing lack of a, a sustained discipline to be careful how they navigate through their emails, all those contribute to the humans being so vulnerable. And as I think about the various major breaches, whether it's the Yahoo breach, the Equifax, British Airways, Facebook, it all started with a human being compromised. So it's a huge challenge. Um, What would you recommend an organization? You know, as you know, organizations are doing a lot. They're offering a variety of training programs. They are conducting um, tests of how well the people are picking up on those skills. So they're doing a variety of things. What are some specific recommendations you have for organizations to reduce the human vulnerability risk? So this, I mean, there's a few things. Um, The first thing seems almost like a a silly thing to say, but the first thing is, is that use the security that you have um, properly. You know, a lock doesn't work unless we turn the key. And a lot of organizations have programs in place, have spent money on training and awareness and and, and yet don't really follow it up. Don't make sure that people um, are really watching the videos or, 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 you know, participating in the online courses and things, which particularly with the work from home situation, a lot of us are in at the moment, are incredibly important. Um, and that would also be true of, of the technical shields that are in place. So making sure that everything is patched properly and updated properly, which arguably would have stopped a lot of the blended, more technical hacks um, and breaches that we've seen over the last few years. So you know, the first one really is, is that obvious. It's use what you have, use it properly, make sure that if you've purchased training or awareness programs of any kind, that people are watching them and taking part in them and, and follow that up. And I think that's really the first thing. The second thing would be that we have to know our staff um, 
better than the bad guys. And I say this when I do keynotes all the time, but you have to know your staff. So at line manager level, no matter how big the organization is, at line manager level, we need to communicate with the people really well. We need to know what normal looks like for them. You know, are they someone who's very verbose or do they not speak that much? Are they somebody who likes to communicate or do they normally keep hidden? You know, what type of people are we dealing with? Because what we're looking for all the time is an anomaly in behavior, a change in behavior, um, something that's that's out of character or out of pattern. And from both a technical point of view, that's our sort of behavioral analysis tools pick up on. But we are a behavioral analysis tool as a human being. So we should be watching for unusual things. We should be checking in on our colleagues. Because especially when we're working in isolation, what we don't have is the situation where we can pop our heads above the, the laptop and, you know, or into another office and say, you know, hey, Dr. Chatterday, mm-hmm. you know, did, did you get this phishing email that I got? What do you think? Do you think I should answer this one? It seems a bit strange. People are on their own. And so we need to check in more because we're remote. We need to check in on people and make sure that everything that looks normal is normal. Um, You know, and and I think that's the second thing. And the third thing I would say would be that people really do need to know what to do when they see something they think is suspicious. Who do they forward it to? Who do they speak to? What are the rules? Because I think a lot of the time people will notice something's odd, but they're not sure, well, now what do I do? Or they think that they've answered a question or received the email, but now what do I do? You know, and and if you're in that moment of sort of cognitive dissonance, in that moment of doubt, we've got to make sure that they know, no, don't think about it anymore. Send it to the uh, security team, you know, press the little button with the fish picture on it, you know, whatever it is, make sure that they know that and that needs reinforcing all the time. And I think those three things would go a very long way to preventing a lot of sort of low to medium level scams, cons, phishing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, this is uh, so consistent with um, some of the things that I talk about, about having, you know, a continuous and customized training in place, frequent testing, assessments, rewards and incentive schemes. And, and from the big scheme of things, fostering an employee friendly culture, getting the employees motivated, getting the employees to recognize that if they are not very careful, one mistake can cause huge problems, not only for themselves, for the entire organization. And like you said, it is easier said than done. Um, yeah. are, many of us are remote and we need some oversight. We, we need to be able to talk, talk to people when we are facing a certain dilemma in whether to you know, click on a certain link or not. I, I'll be frank and cad- candid to admit that I have fallen for several uh, phishing emails hopefully the consequences weren't too bad yet <laughs> i don't know yet well this but, is the uh, thing this yeah. is the thing isn't it i mean anyone mm-hmm. that that's one of the mm-hmm. ways that we can foster that culture of trust and lose mm-hmm. the blame is for senior people mm-hmm. to say and for people like yourself learned fellows like yourself to say mm-hmm. i i've fallen for it 
you know mm -hmm. it's nothing to be ashamed of you this is designed to catch you out we're all going to fall for it at some point so so don't worry about telling us that today was your turn you know yep so true uh, so when you talk to um, you know companies you talk to a lot of companies i'm sure um, what kind of buy-in do you see senior executives have when it comes to focusing on the human factor because very often I have seen the tendency to lean on the technologies that's available out there. And there are great technologies, but I'm sure you will agree or you may agree that the approach has to be way more holistic. We have to focus on processes. We must have good technologies, but we also need to have well-trained people. And again, when I talk about training, the intent is not to make each and every employee a cyber expert. That's not the point but they need to know enough to not become a problem, to not become that vulnerability. What are your thoughts? Well, I think you're exactly right. Um, and, and it's very difficult sometimes, I think, to, to sort of really convey to people at a senior level just how important the human side of things are. And I think that's partly because in the past, we have framed the problem in technical terms and we've spoken to people as an industry, the security industry, the tech industry, speaks to people who are not in that industry in very technical terms. There's almost this um, pride in being difficult to understand and, and, and being secretive. And there's a very strong culture within the industry, the cyber industry, that if you're not in that industry, it might be difficult to understand. So it's no surprise then when we get to senior level and we get to our colleagues and try to say, look, actually it's about the people that there's, you know, they see like a disconnect in that. <laughs> well, hang on. You're all, you're very technical. Why would it be about people? So I think, I think, it's very important that we convey that um, communication properly and clearly. And that really needs to be something that's brought more and more into the industry because without that, without continually explaining why people are so important in all of this, um, it, the emphasis will always be on technology because if you don't understand that the problem is human-based, then, then you know, and that's a difficult thing to solve a human-based problem. You can't just throw money at this. It needs time and focus and attention. You need to care. Um, and so I think without that emphasis, it's easy for these things to be dismissed or misunderstood and for money to go, you know, in another direction. It seems to be a technical department. So can I just pay for a technical solution? And then all of this will go away. And of course, it doesn't go away. It has to be exactly what you said. You know, it has to be operations. It has to be technology. It has to be process. But all of it comes down to the people. So without that, we are truly lost. You know, we really are. Spot on, spot on. Um, you know, that's exactly what the challenge is. And we often, by human nature, we tend to lean towards uh potential solutions that are that are more tangible that we can get our arms around we are likely to see some quick wins but when i'm talking about developing and sustaining a holistic a human centered approach anchored in culture that's where people start wondering that how are we going to pull this off and oftentimes unfortunately many large organizations they won't say this specifically but they'll 
they'll follow a wait and watch approach and they'll rather wait to see something happen and then recognize the vulnerabilities and act on them rather than be proactive. But I hope that with all that's going on every day, there is another major attack or major ransomware attack. And this is frightening. So it's I mean, so important. Yeah. I was going to say, but this is so important. It ties in what, mm-hmm. with what you said earlier about a tailored mm-hmm. regular training. Mm-hmm. When I think when organizations, when they hear the word culture, that sounds so huge and so difficult to tackle, but they're really thinking about that at a macro level. I think what you need to do is say, no, there's in there are cultures within departments and within teams and within groups. And that's the level. It really is that granular. That is the level that we apply the training. You know, that's why we need to know our people well, because we know what works with you know the procurement team or the finance team, because they're different human beings. They're different types of people tend to work in different types of departments or within those teams. You know, there's there's variance in what works best. Um, and so I think that's why when you said, you know, regular tailored training is the, is the most important thing. I would completely agree with that. And that's how you tackle culture. You tackle culture really on a granular level is my, is my thoughts. Absolutely. Now I'm intrigued. Uh, you know, you mentioned in your profile that uh, you are a burglar for hire. Companies hire you to test their uh, defenses. If there's any story that you can share with the, with the listener, that will be amazing. Well, I mean, I am. And and obviously that's a very good uh, title to get people's attention. But what it really means is that exactly right. I'm hired to do physical infiltration work um, as well as the psychological side of social engineering. So physical infiltrations will be to test the alarm systems um, and the sort of physical defences of organisations. And just to illustrate the point for your audience you know, that can take many different guises. And I've lots of stories I can tell about about them, but it depends on the organization. It depends on the culture of the organization and it depends on the size and lots of other things. But as it's you, um, let's let's talk about one that, that you'll like, I think, that, which is about the culture of a company as well. So I was asked sure. uh, by, because um, I'm interested in your take on it, Dr. Chastain. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, so, um There was an organization that asked me uh, if I could get through their security and the manager, it was a large factory on on a big site. And the manager of the factory had said to me, you probably can't tailgate in. So you can't just follow someone in because they'd spent all this money on uh, security. They'd spent two million pounds on this perimeter security to huge big fence and security guards on the outside of their factory. And, um, Unfortunately, a lot of people think social engineering really is just about smiling and charming your way past security guards and maybe following someone through a gate. But it can be a lot more tricky than that. And what I did was based on I had observed this business and I'd understood that they were very hierarchical in nature. They were um, the type of company that was sort of old fashioned. And, you know, when a manager or a boss told you to do something, you did it. You didn't question it. So very rule driven. So the first thing we had to do was get inside the fence, um, which is kind of a whole other story. But but we got inside the inner fence and got past the outer security by pretending we were there um, to fix a, a car windscreen that was parked in the car park. So sometimes 
um, those windscreens get broken and, and, and the, the sort of um, the package that the staff have, the management have means that they can be visited on site and we fix it. So we pretended we were there to fix a car windscreen. And then my team left and they left me hiding behind a dumpster. Um, and what I did was I wrote on a piece of paper, please do not close this door. Thank you. And I tacked it up to the outside of a door on the outside of the factory. And of course, the first person that came out sees this sign on the door, you know, on headed paper with a vague signature that said it was human resources. And in a rule driven organization, you obey the rules, right? So he wedged open the door with some cardboard and then social proof kicked in because then when all of his colleagues came out, they saw that the door was open and they didn't, nobody else was closing it. So they didn't close it. And I just, you know, I got into the factory through that door. And then once I was in there, we posted some key logging cables, which means that everything someone types into a, into a computer uh, is logged. Um, and I looked at passwords and, and sort of took some photographs and things. If I'd have been a criminal, as opposed to someone doing this for an educational exercise, um, that factory would have been very seriously compromised. Their whole business would have been compromised. Um, so that's the type of thing that we do. It's, it's about thinking your way past security as much as, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've plenty of times done a cheeky smile and been let through. Don't get me wrong. But most of the time it's more it's cleverer than that. That's simple. But you have to know that it would work in that culture, in that environment um, to try something like that and have it work. Very interesting. Very interesting. In fact, I share a story in my book. You may have read it where this guy, he goes to his friend's company, his friend is the CEO, and kind of challenges him that if I can break into your existing system, can I get the contract to be that external hacker, you know, testing and giving you feedback. Yes. And so his friend agreed to the challenge. So the next day, let's say the guy's name is Mike. Uh, Mike goes into Dave's office. Let's say Dave is the CEO with several sheets of paper. They contained employee social security numbers, customer and, and employee bank account information, and more. Yeah. So Mike was intrigued. He, he asked, he said, how do you do this? So this guy explains, the guy who was able to hack into their system, that I believe earlier the same day, he dressed in blue coveralls. Mm -hmm. He had walked up to the secretary who had seen him twice before flashed an ID card and said, hello, I'm Mike with AT&T, and we are upgrading the lines coming to your building. I'm afraid we cut something that we weren't supposed to, mm -hmm. and I need access to the server room in order to make sure that you guys don't lose connectivity. Yeah. So yeah. then he shows his ID card, and he is let in. The secretary just wanted him to be, wanted to be nice and helpful, and she believed him, and she let him in. Yeah. And why why even talk about this particular case? Again, I'm going to use myself as an example. When I'm walking in the door of an office and I'm using my badge or my credentials and there's a person right behind me, out of sheer courtesy, I let the person walk in as well behind me. And I realize that that is a no-no. But And that's, I think, one of the challenges is we can get all the training we want but our human nature varies from person to person. Some of us are probably a little too nice. Some of us might 
bend the rules a little bit, assuming it's okay. The person behind me is as legit as I am. Mm-hmm. So that's the challenge where you can offer the same level of training to X number of people, but how it gets assimilated, how it gets applied differs, varies because of so many factors. It, it does. And it's, and, and but this is why dealing with the humans and keeping human beings safe is a more tricky business than dealing with technology because you know, social engineers manage to do it. We manage to both generalize in terms of what human beings want and respond to and need and run away from, but also to be very um, specific and tailored about the individual. And that's what, you know, training programs, awareness programs and effort needs to match the effort of the adversary. Because when I, for example, when I'm looking at an organization that I've been given the task to breach, I, I will take into account the culture of the company. So everything about the organization, you know, did it, is there a charismatic leader in charge, you know, that everybody knows something like Richard Branson with Virgin or something like that, or Jack Welsh used to be in GE, or is it, you know, is it a much more matrix structure where nobody's really, you know, there's no single put figurehead that we all look at. So even to that level of detail, and I'll also look at what do human beings respond to generally? So we use um, sort of visceral influences as well. In the words of Dr. Dove, that is, Dr. Martina Dove coined that phrase that I know of, and um, she's a wonderful academic on all of this. But visceral influences. So, so you know, is there a bad smell? Is the water stopped working? Are the toilets out of order? You know, is is the kitchen closed? So those very basic things are what all human beings will respond to. Um, and an example I will give you that we use, well, I used to use all the time, I use it less now, would be we put smoke bombs into litter bins because they cause no real damage. But if someone sees smoke, then people will respond to that and, and, and you know, there'll be an evacuation of a building. So it's so they're the visceral things. They're the, the, the very kind of um basic urges that all human beings will respond to. And then we kind of it's almost funneled in terms of then what you know, what does this organization respond to? What does this team respond to? Right down to the individual. What is it that I can say that will get this person? to respond to the email, to click on the link, to open the attachment or to carry out that conversation on social media. So it's, 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 we go from being very general to being very, very specific. Now, if your adversary is bringing that level of persistence uh, and attention to detail to the fight, that's what we have to bring to the fight as well in the defense capacity, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about defense, talking about fight, you know, it brings back uh, thoughts about a particular article I read where they talked about the security culture in the U.S. naval uh, nuclear submarine program. Okay. And one of the things they did very well was they drilled in their employees certain processes, certain procedures, certain protocols and they made sure that everyone was following through those protocols. And the way they would make sure is when you receive an order, you repeat verbatim what the order is before you execute. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the 
the consequences of a nuclear disaster on a, a submarine is significant, catastrophic. People's lives are lost. So the stakes are really high. And so it's incredibly important to have a very strong security-driven culture. And that might be hard to pull off in a traditional organization. But having said that, one literally has to approach this whole security thing in a in a, almost in a militaristic fashion because the stakes are really high and and there has to be that level of discipline that level of commitment and how do you instill that and in that co- context i had a question for you i often ask executives that you know as we know that reward systems work very well reward systems help achieve a certain human behavior as much as we want people to do the right thing just because they care they're loyal to the company but are there other things that we can do to ensure consistency of a very disciplined behavior on the part of employees so i i asked them about reward systems about incentive systems and i am not sure how well organizations are doing from the standpoint of maybe incorporating some um performance metrics in their annual evaluations so i'm just curious what what are you picking up on when you talk to your clients in the area of rewards and incentive systems yeah i think i think one of the problems is it 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 it's got to be pitched exactly right um for it for it to endure so i think rewards and 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 sort of perhaps less rewards competition works very well so you know people are competitive just because they are you know and I, and and they will certainly um sort of put effort in over time if introduced to a common enemy so you know we have to think psychological you know psychological ex- experiments um like robbers creek and things in the states years ago but people respond well to competition they respond well to a common enemy they respond less well i think to constantly being fed measurements on something that they feel um less responsible for you know you know it it if they it's hard to convince someone i think that they can really make a difference in this um as an individual uh people always think that they they're not important enough or rich enough to be hacked or to be a target when they're a link in the chain and a node in the network and of course they are you know and so it's difficult to say oh, well your department only caught this many um fishes or something you know when you've improved a little bit i think what helps is is making it a friendly competition within the organization um and and that's what i say i think otherwise people do get security awareness fatigue they get fed up of hearing it um and it just sort of fades into the metrics of of everything else um and again this is this is why it has to be something that's dynamic it has to be i i always say to my clients you've got to feed it back to the people and let them tell you the best way to keep them engaged and what you usually find is there's someone in in most departments who love this stuff <laughs> and just decide that they are the best champion for it and will take it forward in ways that we in the industry perhaps have never even thought of a special thanks to jenny ratcliffe for her time and insights if you like what you heard 
please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.